Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2020. My name is Amato, and with me are... Tori. And two special guests today. Britt. Katie. For this fanfic, I thought we needed as many heads as possible to kind of hash it out and, you know, figure out what's going on. And I think between you, we have probably a one and a half X-Men experts. <laughs> Yeah. I'd say so. I'd say so. I'd put myself on, you know, a solid 0.5. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're underselling yourself, but <laughs> maybe. You seemed a little bit, you know, self-deprecating about it earlier when we were chatting. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's true. I'm getting there though. I'm proud of my of my half X-Men fan dumbness. You should be since you podcast about it regularly. Indeed. Indeed we do. Um yeah, yes. we've got uh is it an X-Man? Our, our podcast, we've been going at it for more than a year now. You can find us most places. And Katie, since you're the expert and all of the brains that go into this podcast, please explain what it's about. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, well, you started it technically. But um, <laughs> yeah, basically, our the premise is that I, Katie, am the quote-unquote expert. Yes, it's spelled X-P-E-R-T. Um, and Britt is our loving novice who is just eager to learn. So. Um, Every week or every other week now, we dive into a character, a theme, a storyline, something that interests us, and just try to learn about the wackiness of the X universe. It's funny how similar that is to me and Amato, where Amato is the expert in fan fiction, and I literally knew nothing at the start. <laughs> yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely similar. I, I knew a whole lot less about fan fiction than I thought I did when we started this podcast, but I've definitely, you know, learned more and uncovered all sorts of corners of fandom. Yeah, I knew exactly as much about the X-Men as I thought I did when I started our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you decide to start a podcast with Katie talking to X-Men with you, even though like you didn't know anything about it? <laughs> oh, well, I've, I've been basically X-Men adjacent since college, I would say. Uh, Katie and I have been friends since, well, Mortal Enemies in fifth grade, because we were in rival elementary school bands. Yes, And correct. then friends, mostly, I would say, end of junior high and high school. We went to the mm -hmm. same college. Uh, and then only in college did I learn Katie was a fan of, of comics. <laughs> um, I feel like that's, yeah, that's kind of when I dug into it, really. I was more of an animated series and X-Men Evolution fan before that. But then in college, I was like... The, the, I discovered the world of the co local comic book shop. So, <laughs> yeah, and so I, I would see evolution um, on the TV and kind of just take it in as, oh, it's a cartoon, and know nothing about these characters. Um, and then one day, <laughs> one year for my birthday, um, Katie <laughs> created an is is it an X Men PowerPoint presentation wherein I was <laughs> tested on my my adjacent knowledge of the X Men and. I would probably do a little bit better now, um, but I i don't know. I always loved how happy it made Katie and our friend Kate, who also lived with us, and how like amazing the whole community seemed to be. And I had just never delved into it before, and we just decided, let's just, we talk about it enough, like, let's just record it. <laughs> was that original PowerPoint literally a quiz about whether or not a certain thing was an X-Man? <laughs> Yeah, it was literally just images from comics and probably movies. I don't know. I recently unearthed it. I haven't actually looked at it yet. Um, but 
Yeah, it was just pictures of the most ridiculous ex people I could find, and yeah, just harassing Brit to make her say if it was an X Man or not. <laughs> yeah, like a it, member of the X Men or just like from the X Men universe. I'm curious. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think I think the latter is more how we uh, define it. Is using X Men as a broad term to mean right. a mutant of some kind? Yeah. yeah. But she understood I was not anywhere in my knowledge journey to understand the difference between an X-Man and a mutant, like yes. square and rectangle type of situation. Sure, yeah. um, <laughs> so I think I was just everything. If you weren't an Avenger, you were an X-Man. You know what I mean? <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I get that. Well, that reminds me, this is only our second time reading a fan fiction from the X-Universe. And the oh. first time was technically a new mutants fanfic where very few legitimate X-Men, X-People appeared. Uh, so I guess we may as well check in about our background. But in short, like I was super into X-Men as a kid and Nightcrawler was my favorite character. Yes. And But I didn't really read the comics that were coming out when I was a kid. I had like a subscription to classic X-Men, which was, you know, Claremont era reprints. Mm -hmm. And I dredged old Excalibur issues out of the comic book yes. boxes, you know, at the, the comic store. And so, like, what I'm actually familiar with is kind of Claremont era up until Australia and the first 75 issues of Excalibur. And okay. everything mm -hmm. else is just, you know, picking things up from being a geek on the internet and such. <laughs> and so, we'll get into it later, but going into this fanfic, which is very mid-90s X-Men, Mm -hmm. I I wasn't at all familiar with the plot threads going on in the comics, but like with the actual yeah. X Men there. Me I neither. Knew what was I kind of knew what was going on with Excalibur at that period, but yeah, like Warren Ellis was writing it. Uh, <laughs> that's about it. Yeah, I kind of come at it from like I watched a lot of the cartoon, especially X Men Evolution, but like yes. the old cartoons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went back and recently like started rewatching X Men Evolution. I think it's on Disney or Amazon or something. Mm -hmm. But I loved that show, and I always loved Nightcrawler, but I didn't really read a lot of comics. I came in the back door because I started getting into comics through, you know, drawing comics and the underground comic scene, and then started reading, like, what I can people consider to be, like, good issues of superhero comics, like, from a cartooning perspective, rather than, like, I'm actually going to consume all of this. <laughs> so I have, like, a... I like X-Men a lot. I just have like a very patchy X-Men knowledge. And this story definitely goes, is in a very specific point in the hmm. continuity. Yeah, definitely. Sure is. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you need to kind of pick and choose like a theme or a character and just try to follow them. It's kind of an in like wild task to try to read from start to finish in any, any one year or era or something. I don't know. It just seems a little wild. <laughs> I've always, you know, when I got over the phase of just mocking comic book continuity, which is, you know, a hard phase to get out of. We're not but, out of it. Um, <laughs> I've definitely had to come to terms with the fact that, like, a, any comic book universe, even, like, you know, just the subset of the X-Men or whatever, if you look at it as a story, it's the dumbest story ever told. But what it really is is a setting that changes, and at any given point, you can tell stories in it that can be really good. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this author definitely took a point from which to tell a story. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into that more, I guess, once we properly introduce it. However, Katie, I notice on your little, like, um, like image of yourself for the podcast. Mm -hmm. That's Rogue, right? <laughs> it is, yes. Oh, good. 
Yes. <laughs> I didn't quite realize it would be as much rogue in this fanfic as there is. I was thrilled <laughs> to read this. <laughs> yeah, like I, um, because I feel like, again, I, I mentioned watching Evolution and like the 90s animated series and everything. I feel like that was really my introduction to all of it. And along with the first movie back in like 2000. Um, and I was really excited with this story to get to see a deeper dive into those characters because the animated series from the 90s does a really excellent job, I think, of portraying these characters and digging into some of the, I guess, more convoluted timelines or storylines. But um, yeah, it was just really exciting to read more about the people I know the most about, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Bishop, right? We all know a whole lot about Bishop. Oh, totally. Oh, so um, clear. So obvious. I, <laughs> I honestly, I texted Katie when I started this and was like, well, I, re- I read the first sentence and the first word was Bishop and I just stopped and I Googled Bishop. Like, There's no way. <laughs> I did the same thing. <laughs> Uh, did, did that help? Um, Googling Bishop? Honestly, I read it, went right over my head, and just took everything at face value. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the information I got on Bishop was like not what was presented in this no. story. So I was very confused. <laughs> because I never, I've never read any comics with Bishop. To me, he's always just been kind of like Cable, except I like his character design a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And that's like about it. That's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you need more for this story. But why do we, He's sort of like a narrative vehicle in this story, in a way. Mm-hmm. Let's introduce what that story actually is. For our discussion today, we read a story called Betrayal, written by Valerie Jones sometime in the 90s, apparently. It was uh, pretty well-known and well-regarded. It won multiple uh, X-Men or comic book fan fiction awards. Fanlore.org says it won Comic Book Fan Fiction Awards 1998, I think for Best Story, and it was also put in the Hall of Fame that year, tied for first place in the X-Day 1999 fanfic competition. And I originally ran into it because I was looking for recommendations, and there's, you know, a fanfic recommendation column written by uh, someone named Dex Farkin, who maintains, I think it's comic fic dot, um, let me look this up, comicfic.net. And in an article kind of talking about the, the classics of X-Men fan fiction, it was in the same breadth of recommendations as Kid Dynamo and another couple of things that I'd heard about. And unlike some other fanfics that have gotten a whole lot of attention and are well regarded by the fandom, it seemed like a length that we could actually handle reading. Right, because I imagine a lot of X-Men fanfiction is long. Fanlore.org says that epic-length, you know, really long fanfics are sort of a thing in that fandom, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense coming out of the groundwork laid by Chris Claremont, I feel like, where he's like, yeah, I'll just introduce a plot thread, and then five years later I'll get back to it, and in the meantime there's 20 other plot threads going on, so, you know, no worries. Really long-form storytelling. So that's the fanfic. At least the name of the fanfic. And would someone like to start us off just with the general how the fanfic starts? Like what we're getting into in this story? Um, Well, I'm happy to just because one of my first notes was just, wow, Valerie knows a lot about the Um, (laughs) (laughs) X-Men. One of my first notes was titling this The Witness, completely getting the title wrong. So go ahead, Katie, take it away. Um. Yeah, just uh, we open on, as Britt mentioned, Bishop, uh, 
scanning the lakefront, the lake that apparently exists on the grounds of the Xavier Institute, I was not aware. Um, Scott and Jean live in a boathouse, I guess. I need to mention that because that was just funny to me. Um, And Bishop is keeping an eye on or seems looking out for Gambit, I would assume. Uh, But instead he finds Psylocke uh, skinny dipping because, (laughs) sure. Uh, because that's what proper British women do. Correct. <laughs> like Elizabeth Braddock. Yes. Uh, oh, Captain, my Captain. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the okay. that's well, where it starts. <laughs> I, I thought, yeah, Bishop is is very alert. He's you know he's kind of he does guard duty even when other people aren't. And mm-hmm. I thought that really early in that fanfic, doesn't he just kind of run into Gambit, who comes out because he can't sleep, and like they just sort of mm-hmm. hang out together, not talking for a moment? And the point here is that it's introducing one of the major plot threads, both with Bishop's character in the comics and in this fanfic, which is that my understanding is Bishop came back in time with the knowledge that someone's going to betray the X-Men and get them all killed. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty sure that's Gambit. And since I haven't read the original comics, I'm not completely clear on why he's so confident about that. But, like, he's pretty sure. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he ends up, uh, you know, he ends up joining the X-Men and, like, you know, um, not doing any kind of minority report, immediate execution of Gambit or anything like that. So I guess, you know. It, it, but anyway, it's one of those main tensions, especially early on, but... It, also throughout the fanfic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a moment where I wasn't sure if, I mean, I, I sensed that tension, but I, and I knew I had done a little more digging into the whole witness timeline or storyline that I know we'll get into. Um, but there was a moment where I was like, is this sexual tension? I wasn't sure where <laughs> the story was headed quite. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, did not take that turn, but um, yeah. <laughs> well, anyone has sexual tension with Gambit. That's true. It's impossible right. not to. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely did reading this. Oh, yes. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought this fanfic would center more on Bishop, because as the story <laughs> moves forward, it's really much more about Gambit. And it's interesting because mm-hmm. they say in the story, Bishop comes from an alternate future, but actually he just comes from the future. So that was confusing <laughs> for me for a second. It's like, wait, well, I guess there's t- many alternate futures. <laughs> Time travel and the X-Men have a weird relationship because it happens all the time, but it's never, I feel like until like recently when they've tried to explain the rules or whatever, it's never really clear how it works. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Speaking of not being clear how it works, here's one of my problems reading this story in 2020, which is that it was written, like the author says it's written, it it breaks off from X-Men continuity right after X-Men 45. And I was able to find like, on marvel.com a like top 12 12 rogue and gambit moments and it's like well it's because 45 has a dramatic you know dealy with their relationship where um she rogue goes and like kind of learns more about his background in seattle about doing a whole Mm -hmm. lot of terrible things and iceman's with him and she kind of breaks off their relationship because she can't trust him uh, trust any promises from him because he's been such a terrible person in the past and like that's all well and good but it's very, very difficult. Like, you can look up the witness who's going to come up really soon. You can look that up in 2020, and you'll learn all kinds of things. But you'll learn these layers of continuity that various authors have, you know, done over the decades, right? And what you can't find very well is what was established in continuity in 1995 about this plot thread. 
And so a lot of the time I was really unclear on what was canon that Valerie Jones was working with and what mm -hmm. was something that she was developing or introducing for her story because she's writing fan fiction. Yeah. 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 I was hoping y'all could help me with that one. <laughs> I mean, maybe occasionally, but mostly I was, I was pretty confused about that most of the time. Yeah, there were definitely a few characters and plot points that I tried Googling. And if I couldn't find anything, I was like, well, I guess that's just an OC or she just made up that idea. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were few OCs, I think. Like mm -hmm. most of the characters are established characters, right? From what I could tell, yes. Huh. Maybe not that like Star Company Mercenary Corps that comes exactly. in or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was. I mean, but even that, I have no idea. I assumed it was real. I just, I assumed it was real. I was like, okay, sure, <laughs> sounds good I to me. At this point, like for me, coming in with not a ton of intimate X Men knowledge, I'm just gonna assume everything's real, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I know Gambit's real. I know Bishop's real. I know Rogue <laughs> is real. We're all good. Yeah, <laughs> as real as you and I. <laughs> exactly. Real might not be the right word here, but yeah, I know what I know what yeah. you mean. Um, so let's see, the other kind of establishing tensions here, obviously we've got the rogue gambit relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and where are they in their relationship right now? They're not together. No. <laughs> it seems like the big turning point was that X-Men 45 that the author references repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I didn't read it either. I don't know exactly what happened there. But she definitely, like, finds out some of the you know, dark things that he's done in his past, including working with Sinister, maybe, but I, maybe not. That seems like a revelation later. Yeah, like from, I didn't reread that issue, unfortunately, either. But um, from what I could figure out, yeah, I think they kissed for some reason, because I feel like Rogue and Gambit are just always making out whenever they can. <laughs> um, and she absorbed some kind of really awful memory from him that revealed something dark and terrible about him and like you said she felt she couldn't trust him anymore and just kind of flew off into the night leaving gambit and iceman to go back to the x-men and live their heroic lives i guess but yeah i'm not totally clear when she came back or why um yeah um <laughs> right but suffice to say they're not together but the sexual romantic tension is super thick mm -hmm. you can cut yeah. it with a knife i also oh, thought that she and Bobby were dating, but it seems like he's just Bobby's just into her and she doesn't know or something. Right. Apparently yeah. he went with her on that Seattle trip and, you know, was a supportive friend type person. But I'm sure you could read it as like romantic interest, too, since, you uh -huh. know, the authors would not decide that he's heavily closeted gay for like another 20 years. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's all fine, of course. And so... I feel like the the first kind of main plot thing that happens in the story is that during like a scuffle between um, between Bishop and Gambit, Bishop m says something just like offhand that he heard from the future, mm -hmm. and it's it's thieves code because Gambit is like a Dungeons and Dragons thief who has like thieves can't like <laughs> as a separate language. Yep, um, that's how they roll in Louisiana apparently in like the thieves guild. Excuse me, it's pronounced Teeves. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so Gambit's like, where do you hear that? And like, how do you know what that means? And Bishop's like, I, I don't know what that means. It's something I heard sometime. And 
while and he's like, oh, you come to think of it, I guess the witness said that at some point. And that gets us into the whole backstory with Bishop and the witness. Mm-hmm. Who wants to try to describe that? <laughs> hey, Brie, you want to give it a shot? <laughs> could you imagine? Could you imagine I give it a shot right now to try to explain this? Here, here's well, yeah, because I mean, that, that's really the acid test, right? Is like if the author could make you follow like what was going on with that. Okay, well, here's what I know. Bishop seems to have a sister named Shard. Is this correct? Sure. Correct. Uh, okay. I know that's correct because I had an issue of what if, which is what if Shard came back in time instead of Bishop. Ooh. And like almost every issue of what if, the answer was terrible, terrible things would happen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in the future, I, I believe it is among this whole war situation. Um, and Shard and Bishop seem to be young at this point and um all i know is the witness takes them in i suppose and that's the extent and like father figure situation um that's what i've got yeah yeah there's some detail in this fanfic about how bishop has a uh what do you call it reflection a memory of his sister getting wounded and it was like the witness who came and rescued them. Now the witness is future Gambit. Um, well, yeah, in this story, that seems pretty much confirmed. I think it was, well, I mean, I think it was confirmed in the comics, but I don't know when it was confirmed in the comics. So maybe that was like a good tie in that the author was doing. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, the, the witness was like someone who was like there when the X-Men were killed or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so the witness is future Gambit, and so that's like another layer of things. But he's he yeah sort of semi raised Bishop and Shard, um, even though he was also off doing super shady criminal mastermindy things at the same time. I was definitely confused as to how soon I was supposed to know that that the witness was future Gambit. I mean, I know they kept driving the point home about like red eyes and stuff, but and I know that they speak the same way. But I was like, maybe it's just someone <laughs> like in Gambit's family or someone that he knows. But it became very very clear um, later on. But I feel like I just assumed it for a while, but definitely was confused because he was the witness and also the man. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> well. What this sparks off is a need, like, in in the present, it sparks off this whole thing where the message that Bishop just casually dropped offhand, that's Coded Thieves Guild, is something about, like, uh, creating a code or, like, you know, constructing a message. And what they end up needing to do is, like, psychically, and they being, like, the the assembled X-Men, Professor X and, I guess it's Charles in this fanfic. And Jean, mostly. They end up doing some rooting around in Bishop's memory in order to, like, pick up all the other little bits of Thieves' can't code that he, like, heard, overheard over the years. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and then Gambit translates them into an extended message. A very extended message. And it's like a mystery for this first part of the story. Like, what's going on here? Is this the point where they... Oh, no, wait. That's what they get from Bishop. Or yeah. when did they find out that Gambit... I No, never mind. I'm going to let you go through the story because I feel like it's a little bit like there are pieces that keep coming up. Like the thing where Gambit's um, mind is... The code is in sheer or something. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that comes up here. It's like all these layers of secrecy with this message that they construct. Right. But it's but like a one thing that's in sheer because they're like, why would he know sheer? What I what I really like about what well, I guess like what made me laugh about this whole sequence is that picking up the things from 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 Bishop from Bishop's memory is not the hard part, but then Gambit needs to translate them, and he like has to do work like by hand, like he's making like some sort of like translation squares or like you know. I don't know what you call it. Like, apparently the thieves can't is not just like a set of phrases that each have a meaning. It's like an entire language that he like needs to sit down and translate by hand and with great difficulty. And that yeah. just makes me laugh. Yeah, I liked when he had to ask for pen and paper to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it says that um, McCoy says this code is quite amazing. And Gambit's like, ought to be. Thieves have been working on it for 300 years. You know, thieves. Those people who <laughs> professionally identify yeah. as All thieves. thieves. <laughs> and then, uh, Hank responds, really, given the highly mathematical nature, I would have thought it was newer than that. Which doesn't actually make any sense, because math has been around for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, Hank. Thieves can't uses some very advanced mathematical concepts that have only been worked out in the last 50 years. Yeah, because, you know, thieves, right? Like Galileo who? <laughs> Noted <Yeah>. thief. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And then the mystery extends because once Gambit translates it, it's pretty much gibberish. Mm -hmm. um, but then in reading it out, it, like it's, it's this whole mystery. In reading it out, Charles recognized it as Shi'ar. And like... It's at this point I was like they're getting Shiar into this story because yeah. you know there's all these pockets of X-Men lore, right, that don't really usually come into contact with each other. And so like there's the whole like magic side and like various plot threads with like, you know, Nightcrawler's family and Ilyana and like the whole like magic sphere and you know there's the various future plot threads and like there's the whole like space connection with the Shiar empire and stuff. And but like you don't usually cross the Shiar empire with like the future stuff, but the author did. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I feel like there was a note where somebody was like, Gambit's only been to space like once. Why does he know Shi'ar? <laughs> like, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> throw shade. Here we go. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah I distinctly remember one time Prof Professor X just teaching everybody Japanese tel telepathically. <laughs> and now everyone knows Japanese because they need to be in Japan for a bit. And as a student of Japanese, I'm extremely jealous. <laughs> So I assume one trip into Shi'ar space is enough to, like, just download Absorb the whole it. language into your head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they should really just talk in Shi'ar all the time when they don't want anyone else to know what they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the code ends up being a program for the danger room. Am I missing any, like, major plot threads here? Like, major plot points? Not really. Just that there's the driving thrust so far that, like... For me as a reader, all I picked up on was the fact that we're iffy as to whether Gambit betrays the X-Men, and it sort of seems like Bishop it believes that. So really, we just kind of have this conflict around whether Bishop's suspicions will be true or if he'll kill Gambit or something. Yeah, that's definitely kind of central to the story, right? Yeah, yeah that's what's going on right now. Yeah, and I like that we get more from Gambit's side of this because I feel like in a lot of the comics or adapti like co uh, cartoon adaptations, um, we just see Bishop being suspicious and 
I liked that we got to see Gambit grappling with being told you're going to murder all of your friends who you consider your family because that's a very horrible thing to be told about yourself and not be sure if you can stop it. <laughs> so Yeah, and I feel like it kind of works with Gambit as a character because even though, you know, he's totally trying to do good and he definitely loves, you know, his adopted family and all that, but there's also that little part of him where it's like, well, I have killed a lot of people. <laughs> you know, I have done some really horrible things and, you know, stabbed people in the back. So, like, <laughs> even he is not 100% able to just kind of, like, wave it off and be like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I really like that about this fanfic because we don't just get Remy's perspective on that. We get everyone else being like the same way, like, oh, he's reformed now, but can we trust him? Like, there are these dark things in his past. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Cyclops, Cyclops specifically, Oof. very not into it. Oh my god, um, yes. Which, I mean, would we <laughs> expect anything else? And also, <laughs> one, one plot point we forgot to mention is the quote, Cyclops had an awful habit of scheduling practice sessions at 7 a.m. Like, ugh, of course he did. <laughs> I am so glad you noted that because I did as well. <laughs> yeah. He's, I hate Cyclops, honestly. Yes, thank you. Welcome. <laughs> so annoying. Like join enough. our club. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's a club, I'll join for sure. We're making jackets. <laughs> <laughs> the Cyclops club. There's gotta be a lot of people who do, because, like, what are his redeeming qualities? <laughs> like, leadership, I guess, but I feel like he gives no one else a chance to be a leader, really, unless right. it, until he freaking, like, leaves, but, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, as a Claremont kid, I do love the issue where, you know, he's just had a kid, and he's like, but I'm still gonna lead the X-Men, and Storm's like, no, go, go be with your family, I will lead the X-Men. And he, yes. like, won't accept it, and she literally has to challenge him to a duel. And she doesn't even have her powers, and yeah. and she beats him, and she's mostly because you know, and and he's just you know his head's not in it, of course. But she had to like prove that point physically. Yeah, which of course also also yeah. Storm is great. Oh, Storm is fantastic. Storm oh, is. Yes. I, listen, I don't know much about the X Men, but one thing I know is Storm is always the one saving the day, and I feel like she was leading most of the time. Cyclops was leading anyway, just yeah. like yeah. secretly. <laughs> Cyclops is like, you know, like just like a baby man whose ego needs to be appeased while like Storm does all the work from the background. Yes, absolutely. I feel validated. <laughs> well, this brings anyway. me to a point. I, well, this brings me to something I want to talk about, which is that in this fanfic, up through, I would say, this kind of translation part, there's sort of like Gambit and Rogue and Professor X and Bishop, and the X-Men as a mass. And there's even crowd scenes where it's just like, and the X-Men were there. But I would say, as the story goes along, the author kind of makes a point of everybody kind of gets to step out of that mass, you know, group role. And everyone does show up and have moments and, like, be in character and have opinions about what's going on. And it felt like everyone was pretty on point in their characterization also. Even, like, the characters whose characterization I don't care about. Like, sorry, Angel, I just don't care about you ever. Oh, no. Like... He still, he still seemed in character and, like, written well when he did have anything to do in the fanfic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, especially with Scott being a jerk. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was a little sad that uh, Warren and Aurora did not get much spotlight. I, I would have I liked some more Storm, for sure. I think the author, at least... You're right. She's not in there much. 
But like the author also doesn't forget that in fact she has the closest relationship with Gambit, mm-hmm. right? Yes, like That's true. Yeah. Um, the author is kind of deliberately keeping her off the side because you know a strong personality like hers could definitely warp the way things go more than the mm-hmm. author needs her to. Very true. Yeah. Yeah, their <laughs> friendship is so wonderful. <laughs> Just two thieves doing math. <laughs> <laughs> Just one of those normal best friend situations where it's like, when I was regressed to a child, you know, you and I traveled around the U.S. together doing thievery. And now, you know, we, we have it, we're tight. Not, on, like, not unlike the story of me and Katie, I have to say. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, X-Men continuity is absurd. I like, though, that you don't even need to have that context to get the strength of their relationship. Like, the author... Mm-hmm characterizes everyone really well in my opinion mm-hmm. not that i'm an expert but <laughs> i would agree yeah and yeah that makes me think of like everybody who gambit is even remotely close to kind of takes turns going up to him and being like yeah so you know gambit love you buddy do you know anything about this betraying the x-men all of them dying thing like is there anything you're <laughs> not saying <laughs> and like that's very hurtful to him because he's like on the one hand, it's, you know, how could they even think that he would hide anything that important? But on the other hand, he hides all kinds of shit from them. Yeah. And therefore, it's like, you know, he understands why they would feel the need to ask him that. And, like, I feel like Rogue has that moment and Roro has that moment of kind of just, like, raising the issue directly. Yeah. And I, I also think, I mean, Katie would be more of an expert on this than, than I am. But Rogue's characterization, I thought, was amazing as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love the way she was written throughout the entire story. Um, she got a little melodramatic at moments, but I guess that's just kind of the 90s <laughs> in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like there was a lot of good tension with her as well. Just like we're, we got enough of her internal struggle of I want to be with this man, but I don't because of my own power, but also because of his own issues and things that I know about him and things I think he's hiding from me. and. Um, yeah, I think the author really succeeded on that front. Yeah, and they're in a really weird place in their relationship because she got that memory, that shock of his horrible things, horrible things he did. But Gambit doesn't remember anything, mm-hmm. I think, that happened in Seattle. So he knows that something happened and he's respecting Rogue's space. But like, it's she doesn't, yeah, she's kind of, I don't know, kind of slowly comes into the story more as, as uh, their relationship develops. This really doesn't matter, I'm sure, in the larger sense, but just based on glancing at that Marvel.com, you know, greatest rogue and X and Gambit moments, it seems like that kiss where she absorbed some of his memories was issue 41, and the Seattle thing is like issue 45. It seems like maybe the kiss is what prompts her to go, like, do some investigation and, like, have some leads Mm -hmm. to follow because she absorbed some of his memories. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they're, like, the same incident exactly. Okay. But that's just me being pedantic about something I don't even understand myself, so. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was, like, something that happened in Seattle and then Remy forgot. But maybe it's, like, she went to investigate. Okay, I get it now. You definitely reach the point in the story where the author just says Seattle, and you're like, oh, yeah, Seattle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Even Even though you don't know what happened really as a reader, like, you kind of get the emotional gist of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, 
going back to the main plot, that encoded through time in Bishop's head in Thieves Code program for the Danger Room is an AI, <laughs> apparently. At first, I was like, is this like a projection from the future? But no, it appears to be an AI of the witness. Mm-hmm. How you could possibly encode enough computer information, encoded thieves' messages, to program the danger room to create that, I have no idea. But I'm just going to accept it. Because it's in Shi'ar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's in Shi'ar. Yeah. Is Shi'ar like the most information-dense language like possible? <laughs> yeah. Right. It's mathematical. <laughs> In my head, when I was reading, I was trying to make it work. I was like, maybe it's just information that like directs the danger room to a server that has the actual copy of the AI on it. I don't know. I think we're supposed to just go, ah, Shi'ar, advanced technology. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. tracks. The danger room can do a lot. Um, but the thing about the witness down there is that it's not super, super helpful. Um, we actually get like a flash forward in time somewhere around this time in the story where like we see the actual future witness in the future talking to an unknown personage and the unknown person is asking like, you're not trying to break the rules by sending a message back in time to the X-Men, right? And the witness is saying like, oh no, technically I'm not breaking the rules because such and such and such a thing, mostly having to do with, I'm not going to give them any actual useful information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have to figure out the right questions to ask. Yeah, and... If, when they're not asking questions that it can answer, such as like, hey, who betrayed the X-Men or that kind of thing. <laughs> I um, forgot to program that part. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's pretty unhelpful. But we do have various characters talking to it, you know, in various scenes. And I think this is when like kind of the big rogue development starts kicking in, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, is this when she tries to talk to witness and then yeah. kisses him <laughs> i think yeah. Is that later? yeah right <laughs> because i um, remember yeah, the I program she kisses that him part. now <laughs> right oh, the kissing part. Part. uh yeah. yeah let's not abuse the danger room <laughs> um, yeah it's kind of yeah rogue has a conversation with the witness and it's like at this point she's not on great terms with gambit so she's kind of i don't know through this I guess develops her feelings for Gambit again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But is this is this after um, Psylocke, with zero consent, enters telepathically into um, Gambit's mind? Oh yeah, yeah, that did happen. <laughs> I yeah, right. that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's an important point. <laughs> yeah, it um, is. It establishes a few things. Um, for one thing, that was not cool. Of not cool. Betsy. Yeah, she, it's it's like she's all worked up, you know, about like the possibility that he could be you know, a future betrayer in this fanfic called Betrayal. And so, like, she's just like, I'm, I'm just going to settle this thing. And, you know, she uses the psychic knife, which is the, well, what's the Claremontism? It's like the sum totality of her psychic power or whatever. That's um, about it. Yeah. And she does that, but she also hits a whole lot of telepathic feedback, which is going to be an extremely important plot point in this fanfic. Yes. Yeah. It kind of sends her reeling. I didn't even know that Gambit was supposed to be a telepath, so. So, the thing, as far as I can tell is, in actual comics continuity, by 1995, what was established was that he has super strong telepathic shields. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think the comics ever give him actual telepathic powers, except they also kind of do, because sometimes him being super charming is a mutant power. Mm-hmm. And sometimes maybe it's not. I don't know. Yeah, he can kind of like mildly hypnotize people with his charm. And it's not just because he's charming. It's some kind of offshoot of his power for some reason. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure where the telepathy telepathy thing came from here. Because yeah, as far as I know, that's not a thing. He can't like read people's minds. <laughs> I right, think it's just a reasonable extrapolation. Mm. Yeah. Does it have anything to do with the whole sinister backstory and like the thing I read in an article that was like his brain, part of his brain was taken out or something? <laughs> like, I don't think. Did that kickstart anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> at least in this fanfic, it doesn't seem to be related. And I feel like if the author had known about that, it would have come up. Yeah. Because like there's an <laughs> obvious place where that would have come up. It does feel like um, the author's trying to kind of rectify everything they know about Gambit and, like, piece it together. And those questions even come up later, like, why he has, like, four separate sets of mutant abilities when, like, most people only have one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like in this fanfic, he also has kind of a kinetic sense, which I don't know if that is or was canon. I just don't know. Well, isn't I mean, that how he... Yeah. Is he manipulates kinetic energy. That's how he does his card thing, right? Right. But, like, in addition to that, apparently, in this fanfic, he can, like, sense mm-hmm. how things around him are moving, which is part of his, mm-hmm. um, part of his ability to be super dexterous and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, again, makes sense, but I don't think is canon, as far as I know. Um, well, the point is... Uh, bad, bad Betsy, don't do that. Um, but, but mostly it establishes like a whole lot of psychic defenses that he has in place in his mind to mm-hmm. prevent anyone from making this plot too easy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then what I was getting at in, uh, with the rogue plot development is that like when she's talking to the witness and like about their relationship in kind of general terms, the witness is kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, well, it's, you used to blame your powers for us not getting close, but like, that's just an excuse. And she's like, what do you mean? And at first I thought what the witness was getting at was like, you know, you can be together sexually without coming into skin to skin contact, but that's not what he's getting at. Actually, (laughs) he's he's getting at the presence of all kinds of, you know, deus ex machina things in the Marvel universe that could maybe get around her uncontrollable touch powers. Yeah, such as the Shi'ar collar that she gets. Genotion, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. Something. Some alien technology thing. Um, Actually, that's all human. <laughs> no, I don't yeah. know. Then I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, that makes it even kind of more... Right, it's, it's obviously something that the comic book authors have in place for drama, right? Because... Yeah, if you took a step back and were a character in this universe, you would be like, you know, Forge designed that power-destroying gun. I could probably just go ask Forge to, like, make me something. Or like, oh, yeah, we have these collars that turn off mutant powers. They're in the basement because we don't <laughs> want to use them anymore. Like, and, and so she gets to have that realization in this fanfic by, you know, that happens when you have a fan looking at the world and being like, why don't they just do this? Mm-hmm. But at least the author tries to tie it into, like, oh, well, she was just, you know, 
to some extent rejecting this idea because of a, a fear of intimacy unconnected to just her powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's and also so- a, a lock on the collar that has to be undone. Otherwise, you know, it stays stuck on, right? Yeah. So there's a which, little bit of a barrier. Which is nicely done as this sort of like way to further inflame the sexual tension because if you need a lock opened in the X-Mansion, you bring it to Gambit. So she does without telling him what's going on. And there has to be this very tense time where he's like, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm just going to not push any of this or even tease her and just like unlock this friggin' lock, uh-huh. which was definitely <laughs> yeah. the right way to handle that situation, Gambit. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like all the moments where he's like biting back comments, like the very obvious like puns and things. <laughs> right. Um, and so that sort of opens the door for them to have a physical relationship and sort of reopens the possibility of a romantic one in this fanfic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That happens after Storm finds um, Rogue kissing the witness hologram, oh. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, I just want to bring that up because that was, I don't know why, I guess she kissed him because she was realizing her feelings for Gambit and also felt a little sad for him, like this future self that had gone through so much. But then Storm walks in and is like, shuts off the program is like, what the fuck, Rogue? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's like something something she can touch without hurting it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, or herself. Yeah. Um, Just her pride, I guess. But yeah, Storm's also definitely up there on like most embarrassing X-Men to have walk in on you kissing a hologram. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nightmare. <laughs> uh, who would be the least embarrassing? Who would just be like, yeah, okay. Probably Doob. Gambit. No. Just don't even bring Dupe up. Um, <laughs> Dupe. I think Nightcrawler would be like, yeah, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no way he has not done some like swashbuckling scenario ending with him kissing a holographic like yeah in oh, absolutely yeah he, he has no like every week but imagine how much right. worse it'd be if like scott walked in on oh, you like <laughs> well he's like now we're going to have to have a meeting about yeah. proper you know <laughs> danger room usage and i'm not going to specify like who this is in reference to but you're just going to sit there burning in shame <laughs> while i talk to the whole group like, or no, no. Scott would put up like a passive-aggressive note on the door to the danger room that just said, "Like I don't know, somebody was using it for some unauthorized reason. Maybe don't do that." No kissing the holograms. <laughs> um, let's see. Other other plot things is that like actually Charles gets like a a friendly relationship with the hologram because he starts playing chess against it. Mm-hmm. And they, like, talk about general things that don't involve the future and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I like, too, how, like, the outside perspective of the witness is built up because he's very cagey. And, like, Bishop's perspective we get a lot where he really doesn't trust him. And we know Bishop knew him the most, right, as, you know, the future. Well, the only one who knew him in the future. Mm-hmm. So you get this kind of, like, instant mistrust. But then, like, everyone kind of starts developing their own relationship to the hologram. Especially with Charles, it's kind of cool because, you know, he's very level-headed. Yeah, I feel like he's just trying to gather as much information as possible, which definitely tracks with the professor. <laughs> Initially, yeah, but then he like yeah. starts enjoying himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what is it that leads up to... Well, I guess it doesn't matter what leads up to it. 
Gambit ends up going and talking to the witness hologram himself personally. And mm-hmm. being like, can't you just you know, try and get actual useful information out of it? And what the witness is does end up able to tell him, because I guess he's asking the right questions or whatever, is like, uh, yeah, this definitely does all hinge on you. <laughs> and that's not really what he wants to hear, because it makes it sound like he is indeed going to be doing something terrible or like, or maybe... Some of the things the witness says imply that, like, maybe he might need to, like, sacrifice himself even or something like that. Like, that somehow it's not going to be turning out well for him, no matter, even if they manage to, to arrest this future or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I, also, I feel like Gambit was very much like, so you're here to warn me, right? To make, like, a better cho- cha- uh, choice or something? And mm-hmm. the witness is like, no, I'm here to make sure that you pay. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> All right. Right. And so being surrounded by like all this kind of like general distrust and accusations and inability to control his own fate, he ends up just kind of like on a whim. Well, not a whim, but like impulsively deciding to destroy the hologram and all the copies of the program. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I wasn't really what? sure why. <laughs> Uh, he just didn't like that future judgment hanging over him. And, you know, he, even while he's doing it, he's, it's also an element of self-sabotage, I feel like. Because he's like, oh, here's another terrible decision I'm making. It's like, he knows that doing this might very well torpedo his, like, entire relationship with his adopted family. But I feel like what the author's getting at is to some extent he would rather torpedo that relationship now and get it over with. Instead of, like, what he's feeling, which is this, like, dread and, you know, judgment and distrust. Like, so he's just, to some extent, going to, like, self-sabotage and do this and, you know, then deal with the aftermath and flee if he has to or whatever. Mm -hmm. Maybe part of him is, like, if I, if they kick me out now, I can avoid whatever's supposed to happen. Right. Maybe. Yeah. And I will admit. The author does a good job of building up how overwhelming this all is for him. And I mean, you can even imagine how overwhelming that would be. (laughs) Yeah. I think at this point, he's probably convinced that he did betray them. And he's just like, nope, I'm just going to be done with it. (laughs) Right. Yeah, like that's frightening to like not know your or to think that maybe you don't know some part of yourself. That's yeah, that's frightening. Yeah. And he's done a lot of work, you know, to kind of reform from where he was before. But I think, you know, we see from him looking back, he's like, well, if I've done it before, I could do it again, right? Mm-hmm. Which isn't always how it works, but that is how Gambit's seeing it. Um, and so destroying the, the main danger room copy is no problem. He just like, you know, drags it into the trash and then empties the trash or whatever. Math. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, and there's like a backup <laughs> copy on a disc and he destroys that too. And the last copy is, like, the one that he translated on paper, right? That then had to be entered manually into the computer. Um, which is in, in Beast's lab somewhere. And I, I like when he goes into Beast's lab and, like, you know, is tracking this down. And Hank is just extremely organized. It's like, where are, where are these assorted papers I do the translation on? Oh, they're in that folder labeled Witness. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, like, alphabetical, you know. <laughs> Yeah, Hank is, Hank is amazing. He, he gives me such Virgo energy, and I, I absolutely live for it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I love that like it's mentioned in this fanfic and I'm sure it shows up other times that like he does um he hangs upside down from the chandelier while he's mm-hmm. like working on his science. <laughs> yeah. It's adorable. Yeah. It's like the equivalent of other people pacing the room just get the blood flowing. It's like the blood's <laughs> flowing to his head because he is upside down. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like I've never read a Hank Kurt story, but there's got to be like 50 of them, right? Hmm. I don't know, actually. I don't know if that's one of the big pairings. I, I don't mean Is like it? romantic <laughs> pairing. I just mean like, even in the comics, like a story where it's just like, hey, they're both blue and fuzzy and jocular and, mm-hmm. you know... Yeah. We're doing a story about the two of them together. Yeah, yeah they like, just never paired up. <laughs> I know. It's weird. They should be. It's almost like they, they're foils. Like, they kind of exist separately. It's like both of them separately are, like, the only, you know, minority person in the room. This is just, like, you know, two people who are, like, not white, and they're, like, trying not to talk to each other just because they're, like, ah, I don't want to, like, you know, I, I want to blend in with all the white people around here. I don't know. Yeah. Like, don't want to be typecast in, like, the blue, furry little contingent. Right. Well, especially for Beast, because, like, his whole thing is, like, not wanting to be a brute, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a monster, even though I have monster-like abilities. Yeah, and anyone looks like a brute next to Kurt because he's so charming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. He that, really that must is be the problem. Charming. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, Kurt, uh, not Kurt's lab. Kurt does not have a lab. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hank's lab. Uh, Bishop finds him. And obviously it doesn't look very good for him to be there being like, oh yeah, I'm just destroying the copy of this warning from the future. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so they throw down, basically. Um, Does anyone have any idea what Bishop's powers are? Because I don't. (laughs) Guns? He he has like a gun. That's Cable's power. (laughs) He has a gun that he can like charge with energy i don't it's something with energy i think or Doesn't am i he confused? absorb energy yes yes you're right yeah, yeah yeah and then i think he can shoot it out or charge other like not charge things in the same way gambit does but like because he because bishop usually does have some kind of like phasma blaster plasma blaster what i don't know some kind <laughs> of future gun um that definitely shoots like red lasers <laughs> shoots red lasers You'd think he could um, do more with his power than just mana gun, but you know. <laughs> he he probably does. It's just he's such a nineties character where it's like your your main power is having a cool character design and everything else is an afterthought. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like would you look good in a video game? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway, they end up setting Hank's lab on fire. This is <laughs> I mean it's bad news for multiple reasons, and one of them is that he's working on the legacy virus, which is, you know, the, like, the kind of AIDS metaphor mm-hmm. um, in the X-Men comics for, like, a decade of just, like, a deadly disease that slowly kills mutants if you get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, you know, nothing terrible comes of that exactly, except that they destroy, you know, all the work he'd been doing for, like, however long you know, whatever got destroyed, like, sets him back on his research, too. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which is why he's so very, he's very upset. And, oh, there's that moment where it's like, he's not even angry, he's just sad. Like, <laughs> they have that moment. Yeah. I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> yep. He doesn't really get mad about much. But it is, it's just very sad. Um, 
he does say they, they do in passing say that like you know after it all calmed down he did shout a whole lot at them that kind of writes the witness hologram out of the story mm-hmm. and then i feel like the for the last whole half of the story there's kind of two main plot threads and one of them is the gambit rogue relationship being developed and the other one is like the dramatic revelations and telepathic stuff. Yes. So does it now seem like a good time to like talk about Rogue Gambit in this story in the broader sense and kind of how it shakes out some? It's always a good time to talk about that, in my <laughs> opinion. You lead the way because I I don't have a firm grip on Rogue's character anyway. So like I'm I'm definitely not the person to describe what's going on. Um yeah, well I mean just on like a what's happening in the story level, I absolutely love when they go to Harry's bar and she just crawls across the table and into his lap because why not? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but also like, I think she's wearing the collar at that point, which I'm just like in the cartoons, it's always like a big clunky metal thing, which I'm just surprised people aren't like looking at them when, the minute they walk in. <laughs> but, but that's the best part about that scene is that people are looking at them the whole time. Oh, like yeah. as, soo- as soon that's as so people, bothered. as soon as like this, <laughs> you know, shouting or recriminations or, or like, you know, relationship drama starts happening, which is all just happening at a table in this restaurant, right? <laughs> yeah. More and more people start watching them. Yeah. And then by the time, like, they kind of reach an accord and like, you know, and yeah, like you said, she crawls into his lap, which also seems on point because Gambit makes, at one point makes a comment in this fanfic where he's like, when Rogue is trying to flirt, it is very, very clear. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. She, she only has like an on-off switch. There's no like, it's not a dimmer switch. It's just a on-off. <laughs> it's not a dial. No, yeah. it's just like. <laughs> but by the time they leave happily from the bar, like they get a round of applause mm-hmm. and someone makes Love a that. joke to the bartender about the entertainment that evening being good. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, people absolutely notice them. Yeah. And I'm sure the fact that she's wearing a huge bulky collar, if that hadn't been turned into a necklace yet, is just icing on the cake for everybody watching them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like I loved that whole conversation where they do kind of just lay things out on the proverbial bar room table. Um <laughs> just because I feel like they've had so many ups and downs. I don't I mean, I don't I don't know what they've been through up till that, or I have a vague idea of what they've been through up until like the mid nineties. Um, Seattle. Yes, certainly. See, uh, yes, you're right. Um, <laughs> two plus two equals Seattle. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a thief. I know math. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just they have this very, I feel like they always have a very fraught relationship, but I, and I don't know, like I like how they can be, honest with each other to an extent or they can have these kinds of difficult discussions and conversations about what they both want and need and and yet gambit is usually hiding something from rogue it seems like and yeah i don't know (laughs) well i think what makes it work here is that like you know the characters and you know the background and being open and honest with each other about what they need or in gambit's case about pretty much anything is difficult for both of them, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why when you have a scene where they're both really trying, you're like, you see that effort. And like, you know, they see that effort from each other too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, I also, you can't write I, a scene oh. this, mm-hmm. you know, kind of emotionally charged between characters that just communicate better on a baseline level. <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I guess, yeah, they do communicate best just through witty banter a lot of the time, or Gambit making some kind of innuendo and Rogue being like, oh, Cajun. So, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. it, it was nice to have them actually talking slash yelling things out. Um, even though reading their dialogue back and forth, just like with the, because it should be noted, like, yes, Gambit and Rogue's dialogue is written in like the ridiculous Claremont isms oh, and yeah. uh, <clears throat> accents are all written out. So whenever they were talking to each other or either of them were talking to the witness, it was a lot to parse. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That's definitely worth noting. I truly, yeah. there was multiple times I, I was reading Rogue's accent as Irish, like specifically Merida <laughs> from Brave. And uh, that's a whole different story to me. <laughs> We've run across this problem before with accents being written out. And it's like, if you do it too much it just becomes very clunky yeah Mm -hmm. it definitely is almost too much in this story Mm -hmm. and i know why the author did it because that's what they did in the comics and so maybe it would feel weird reading just like gambit talking gambit's dialogue written out in like plain english and you just Mm -hmm. having to read the accent into it maybe that would be stranger i don't know I think it would. I think it would take me out of the story personally, because I'm like, in my head, I was hearing like the animated voice actors from the series, for sure. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's a thing about this fanfic is that because the X-Men cartoon from the 90s is so 90s, I did feel like I kind of got, I had a a decent grip on most of the characters, Mm -hmm. even though it's very, very comics-based and not cartoon-based. Yeah, yeah. Like, kind of the charming parts of um, Rogue and Gambit's relationship are really there in the forefront, but, like, kind of the cute thing we get is their thoughts about each other, too. I like when Remy's thinking about Rogue, like, oh, yeah, she comes on very strong, but actually she's never had sex. Like, he's very, like, thinking about who she is and where she's at. Yeah. And he's like, not, not that he would want to rush things, because the foreplay is too much fun. In oh that my sense, god, that line. In that sense, meaning like the flirting and such. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they basically start up a relationship again, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. But then the big dramatic stuff, I feel like there's like a kind of a back and forth and like a few attempts at things that we don't need to get into. Like there's two trips into Gambit's mind, but I feel like we can just talk about Gambit's mind one time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Agreed. To try to figure yeah. out what's going on, Gene and Charles go into Gambit's, you know, mindscape. And because it's comic book telepathy, like, it's all very kind of visual metaphor, including, like, physically being present for memories or being able to interact with, like, younger versions of himself that are running around in his mind, like, all that cool stuff, right? But there's also, like, a big black tree kind of growing in his mind that has, like, huge telepathic defenses feedback going on. and. And, like, initially they don't mess with it, and they're just kind of going through the rest of his mind, trying to figure out any mysteries that are in his past that might serve as a clue to, you know, this whole betrayal thing in the future. Right. Isn't the big black tree, like, um, Remy is, like, affixed to it, like, sort of crucified on it or something? Or is the image just making that up? (laughs) That that certainly happened. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um... So, like, but my point being is, like, there's some sort of weirdness in his mind where he's 
I think they determine his telepathic powers have been blocked somehow. Yeah, I mean, one of the things is like, when they're early on checking in about his telepathic powers, which he does not use, it's like, he seems to have some kind of trauma about it in terms of like, he accidentally killed someone telepathically who was trying to scan him. Mm. At some time in the past. Uh, but then like, they can't find any memory like that when they go in and, and look for it, so they're not sure what the deal is there. There's all kinds of mysteries and stuff. Uh, but I guess we don't need to talk about it minutely. Partly, it's like eventually they eventually they kind of walk through his whole memory looking for things, and that's that means they get to see all the terrible stuff that he did that he remembers doing too. Mm. And you know, up to and including, they're like, "Oh, he was involved in the mutant massacre." Jeez, like <laughs> even in a minor, like indirect way, mm-hmm. um, and all the, that other kind of stuff. But they also and, get to see like how bad his childhood was. Yeah, which, and you know, his memories start abruptly, like, on the streets of New Orleans. Um, and it was, it was rough going. And eventually he was adopted into the Thieves Guild, which was apparently a very happy, thiefy family that sometimes kill or get killed by an assassin. Because they have a war with the Assassin's Guild? I don't know anything about <laughs> Yes, yes. It's a long-standing war. But the if the thieves are killing assassins, <laughs> haven't the assassins won? <laughs> because aren't they all just assassins now yeah at that point I know I was thinking the same thing <laughs> but can the assassins so like do math <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was never about being a thief or assassin it was whether you know you were like a mathematician or an artist yeah. <laughs> like your side jobs huh. yeah, there's also a point in one of the earlier times that um Charles and Jean go into his brain when little Gambit is around, or little Remy. He speaks Shi'ar. And that was like one of our first, ooh, that, that's weird. Why is he speaking it mm-hmm. so young? All of that. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, I, by the way, we get a lot of both Charles and Jean, and like, I wasn't really <laughs> expecting that, like, from this fanfic up until kind of the main telepathy part started. But like, we're from their point of view for a f- reasonable bit of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And also, like, them together as a pair. Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, I liked that a lot, actually. Like, I liked following them through Remy's brain. Like, I I feel like it made me... Well, throughout our podcast, I've definitely come to appreciate Jean a lot more. But, yeah, I really liked Jean and Charles in this. Yeah, they were, like, very... um, Jean was very empathetic. I mean, they both were, but Jean was, like, the Mm -hmm. most emotional about Remy's um, rough childhood. And, like, I really appreciated that she was so caring for him, but then she was also very objective about the things he'd done. And she was trying to, I think they both were very, they were looking at Remy through a different lens, but, like, trying to put all the pieces together. And they weren't too hard on him, but they weren't, like, too nice on him either. <laughs> After, I feel like, their first trip and, like, discoveries... Isn't that when there's, like, a whole X-Men meeting about, like, can we even still keep Gambit around after knowing these things about him? Oh, yeah, well, it... I feel like that Scott called a meeting, as Scott does. Um, (laughs) And I feel like that happened after Bishop and Gambit got into that fight um, in the room. So it was kind of like, yes, this was one of the the big things leading up to it. Um, But basically, Scott was like, so uh, I don't want Gambit here. How does everyone feel about Gambit being here? I do not want Gambit here. (laughs) (laughs) But 
It's definitely one of those reoccurring X-Men themes, right? It's like the ability of someone, if they are actually trying to be a better person, to like get credit for that and, you know, maybe be not completely like have their past waved off, though sometimes it's totally waved mm-hmm. off, but at least like be given the opportunity to to like turn over a new leaf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so this, you, is this when Jean brings up kind of what all of them have done wrong in the past? Yeah, and she's like, you know, sure. I ate an entire planet, guys. I think Gambit should be allowed to stay. <laughs> like Right. Rogue was and she's like a super villain. <laughs> Rogue, we literally had this same discussion about you when you joined the X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there was definitely, I think, I don't remember who pointed it out, maybe Gambit himself um, or Bishop, I'm not sure, but the whole like husband versus wife in this discussion. So I think Scott was definitely the, he was just the hardest one to convince at that point. Mm -hmm. I feel like the other original X-Men white guys are kind of on the same page too. Like both Angel (laughs) and Bobby are both like, yeah, Bobby Bobby does not like him. He hates him. Yeah. Well, that's because he's jealous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. In this fanfic, yeah. Eventually, Gambit calls him out on it, but like, yeah, look, you don't like me, that's cool, but also you're getting all worked up because you have a crush on Rogue. <laughs> yep. And he's like, oh, well, well, I never, and leaves. <laughs> yeah, oh, he's, uh, he's, yeah, not very self-aware in this fanfic. I guess let's get into the, the final revelations in this fanfic, because I feel like they're going to take a while to sort out anyway. Oh my gosh, I know. Yeah, well, <laughs> should we start with the second trip into Remy's mind where the there's the whole alternate uh, reality thing? Where do you want to start with this? Um, well, the second trip is the one where they delve into the black tree, right? Yes, I think yeah, so. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's the, the one. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, you go, Amato. Lead us through. The it's there's that really dangerous black tree which has all kinds of like psychic feedback and stuff going on. And Charles and Jean are like, well, I guess eventually they're like, well, I guess we've got to go as deep as we can and go into that too, if necessary. And they even pull in like Emma Frost to be second backup telepath to like shield from any feedback. (laughs) Like they already have Betsy out there, but they like they gotta bring in another one as well. That's how serious this is presented as being. I love that she got that Emma got a special guest appearance in this. That was great. And I like how she's just like she's not even engaging. She's like just there for the job. She's like, mm-hmm. look, Charles asked me to do this. Like, she has nothing to say to any of these people. Like, she gets a few dirty looks and whatever. She's just sitting in her chair. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there isn't there one point where she's just like almost like I gets up to leave or something. She definitely seems like she's very bored. um but charles and gene end up going into the tree which is in this incredibly traumatic completely wiped out from conscious memory childhood experience that's like incredibly scarring and you know what we've totally forgotten all these other plot threads too like um gambit saw like an image of a dangerous mercenary in the x-men kitchen at one point but they weren't actually there okay yeah we don't understand what's going on yeah well it's it's so confusing that everybody eventually is eventually just like i don't know i guess we just ignore that (laughs) (laughs) wolverine says some sort of joke and it was like all right (laughs) right (laughs) it ended up being like some sort of tie-in to bishop's memories of the future but i don't was gambit just hallucinating that he was hallucinating, and what he was hallucinating was this childhood memory. 
that we have that that you know Charles and Jean get eventually force their way through like with great effort and get to witness and it's a really really rough scene mm. we're in the future with young Remy and it becomes clear pretty quick that he is from the future and he was a kid and these are like some future X-Men around it's like Jean's got a kid and Rogue is pregnant and apparently like implicitly married to Gambit or whatever mm-hmm and Remy, it seems, is, we find out, whose child? Oh, no. Professor Xavier. I have no. a son! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Professor Xavier. Yeah, yeah. He, because it's Charles and his long-distance space <laughs> warlord queen girlfriend, <laughs> Empress Lalandra's child. Yeah. So he's oh, I was so confused. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I was confused about the, no, that, but also the scene overall. I just someone help me understand where mm-hmm. what they're what where they're witnessing. Uh, you know, for lack of a better <laughs> word, uh, is little oh, yeah. baby Remy at the table, but also Rogue is pregnant with Remy's child. Confused. What's happening? Yeah. I well, okay. that's because <laughs> you, you take it. Well, no, I just um. This is like this is the point in my notes where I wrote like I hate time travel stories, but I like I love them, but I hate them because I'm just my brain starts to hurt when I start to think. Okay, so there's a gambit in this time in like right. that timeline. Then there's right. a Remelian or whatever his like Shi'ar name is, also in the timeline that they just happen to call Remy, who looks exactly like Gambit. Uh- <laughs> like he is Gambit. That's the thing. I know yeah. it's like that problem where information comes from nowhere because it's in a time loop. I don't yeah. know if this is quite that problem, but it's like really in a way, it's almost like Remy comes from nowhere in a sense. He's he was born he was obviously born in the future, <laughs> but then he's sent back in time. And you have to imagine that him growing up through time and then existing with his child self affects how he developed. It's like you would think ah. <laughs> They, they try to explain it, but, like, what makes a whole lot more sense to me is the Rachel Summers deal, where it's like, oh, you came back in time. Sorry, you're not going to be born anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, then, and then Rachel just has to deal line. with that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, just when, when in doubt, just create a new universe and give it another number and move on. But, like, this I was yeah. very lost in, I have to admit. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, thought, I liked well, the scene, but I was just, whenever I thought too hard about the Remy situation, I got very confused. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was like it's two conver- be- converging memories and like, but the fact that Rogue acknowledged Remy at the table, I was like, wait, <laughs> I'm looking for my <laughs> husband Remy. Also, that child is Remy. <laughs> yeah, no, literally, they're both there. It's just one, it's Remy's past and future at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, but he's having a memory from childhood that was a repressed memory of when he was young in the future, also existing with his future self. <laughs> That makes sense, right? Young I mean, in the future. Does, just the phrase young in the future, yeah. <laughs> the, the, pe- the people present in this conversation even like, have that jokey conversation like with Rogue where it's like, hey, are you sure that you know Gambit's not Remy's father because Remy looks just like Gambit? And they're like, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, these are supposed to be like some of the smartest mutants like, the world has ever seen. Right. It's a little hard mm-hmm. to swallow because you know Hank would do some sort of preliminary genetic testing on any ex-baby just to make sure that, like, there's not some kind of dangerous, dangerous mutant, you know, gene thing going on that, like, they need to take care of as they're growing up or whatever. The other thing is that 
They're both named Remy, but there's no reason for that because he lost all his memories when he was sent back in time, right? So wouldn't he just have a different name? I, well, he remembered his name was Remy, I guess. Okay. So that just makes it more and more obvious, anyway. Um, but the main point here is that um, the, the mansion gets attacked by a bunch of extremely prepared, super deadly mercenaries who have you know, anti-telepathic equipment or whatever, and, you know, all the access codes who come in and start friggin' murdering everybody. <laughs> and it's really hard to read because mm-hmm. it's really gruesome. Yeah. Like, and, you know, they're trying to impress on us just how traumatic this is for young Remy. It's extremely traumatic. Yeah. Yeah, the first like, thing that happens is Rogue getting shot a hole in her from behind. That's, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Isn't Laundra there or something? And like, yeah, you know, most of her skull is blown off. And, Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jean has to like shield and protect Remy. And like, you know, she tries to like get him out of there and eventually fails. And you eventually even come face to face with who the traitor is, like the X Men traitor who exists in this timeline. Mm hmm. Okay, yeah, I feel, just so I, there were no clues like they're seated for this early on, right? This kind of did this no. come out of the blue for everybody? Okay, <laughs> I don't even know what sure. you're talking about. So please, this is the first time I'm understanding that this is happening. <laughs> okay, so the traitor is Colossus. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay, and he has not even been mentioned by name in the fanfic so far. <laughs> no, but yes. as a X Men reader at the time. You might have thought, oh, yeah, okay. Because I do know this as an Excalibur fan that at the time he was in a pretty bad place. Like, for a while he was one of, um, one of Magneto's acolytes. And because he, he turned his back on Xavier after his kid sister dies, well, she turns into a baby and then she dies. But, you know, that happens. <laughs> um, sorry, Eliana, you were too cool. Eliana <laughs> yeah. was too cool for this world. Sure. Um, and so he's just like, you know, he's he's mentally like pretty, pretty kind of unstable at this time in the comics, I feel like. But it's still a bit of a leap. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I bought it, but I just, yeah, it just really came out of nowhere. <laughs> I feel like it was more just a way to say, hey, it wasn't Gambit mm-hmm. than to actually say anything about Colossus because like. Yeah, he, that's the only time he appears in this, is just to, like, be the traitor in the future. Right. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, you're also supposed to take that there's a lot of stuff that's happened in the intervening years in this timeline that we don't know about. Because he even mentions, like, you know, it's all the fault of Xavier and, like, his dream and, like, my wife won't even let me see my children because of, like, you know, Xavier and, like, his ideals and stuff. And, you know, Gene also has to spell it out. Um, you know, to Re- Remy or whoever, he's like, he is literally like not mentally okay or whatever. I guess like Gene talking to Charles or whatever, like this is not a sane man making rational decisions. So like, you're supposed to read a lot of implicit, just like, oh, stuff was happening, but it's weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like the story is pretty well put together, but that, uh, that moment, I feel like, just gloss it, you know, keep moving. Yeah. 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 
and we will. So on <laughs> a very so- surface level note, I did enjoy when mind gene, like memory gene, basically became Sarah Connor in T2 and just started like running through the mansion yeah. with Remy and like a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty excellent. Um yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah gene was just like instantly like everyone's dead oh shit this boy's still alive have to protect him let's go like she yeah. was on it she was ready oh yeah <laughs> and i feel like we were set gene up for that out. a little bit too um in like the first the first time when they went into gambit's mind she was very much like I, we should bring him with us like when they saw little little remy and mm-hmm. charles was like you can't take someone from their memory or something like that like just leave it behind but she felt so drawn to him so mm-hmm. it made sense when that came up totally yeah for, for all that she's not important to the emotional plot in the slightest, Jean comes off really well in this fanfic. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as a partner to Charles in the mindscape also, like it would be so easy to write that as like, oh, well, this is the mentor who taught her telepathy and he's leading the way and she's assistant. And it's like, no, at this point, they are total peers and they're doing this together. And like neither one of them is, you know, they, they don't, the author doesn't make Charles out to be like the more powerful or more skilled telepath, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I uh, I kind of like there there's definitely a way that Jean is written in like some incarnations where she just like basically, you know, before or after, I don't know, before being Phoenix or after whatever. The way she's written where she's just like going to be like Charles' successor, but she's mm-hmm. she just like becomes more of a leader, you know. Mhm. Mhm. So anyway, that's really the climax of the story is like these dramatic revelations and then but then there's a lot of drama in dealing with them also, even once things are got out. Oh, I forgot to mention, young Remy, you know, creates a time portal with his mind because if, I don't know, he has that power too. I don't know. I don't Brains know. Enough. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I never quite got that with Rachel Summers either. It's like, oh yeah, and also you have some time powers, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> someone needs to, I guess. Well, we only use 10% of our brains, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, but so it's, it's young Remy's powers himself that ended up dumping him in, uh, you know, Louisiana X years ago or whatever. Oh, X years ago. Ooh, I was almost. <laughs> oh, no. That's going to be the next crossover event. X years. <laughs> <laughs> X-Men Mega Man crossover. <laughs> 2000 X. No. <laughs> 1990 X. <laughs> That's a thing, right? It is uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it is in some video game. What what was I talking about? Uh, yeah, fallout from this revelation. So that means that Charles gets his first alternate future child, and that's one plot thread that we need to deal with. Is like emotionally them feeling each other out about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not really an X Man until you have one. That's true. <laughs> yeah, you need one time displaced relative. <laughs> Which reminds me that I'm pretty sure this makes Gambit one of Cyclops' relatives. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Cyclops is not gonna like that. I, I guess not blood relative, but if he's Lilandra's right. kid and Lilandra's brother Dakin has a biological child, mm-hmm. Adam X the Extreme, mm-hmm. with Cyclops' mother. So Adam right. X the extreme is Gambit's cousin. Yeah. Which and Cyclops is half brother biologically, <laughs> which makes them who knows. But cousins, right? I guess just cousins. Yeah. Yeah. Because they do yeah. mention that Adam X is his cousin, but they don't mention that thing about I'm not sure that ever became 
established canon. It's just what they intended to use the character for before they stopped writing about Adam X the Extreme <laughs> for obvious reasons. Adam X the Extreme? That's hilarious. <laughs> I think his blood lit on fire or something. Like, <laughs> Just get him out of here. <laughs> he was from the 90s. Super extreme. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm joking, but honestly, I just, I like it when the Summer's family tree gets more messed up. I feel yeah. like you may as well just lean into it. Yeah. Yeah, just go all out. Add more cousins. <laughs> but really what we were talking about there is Charles and Gambit in the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do they have to? What happens between them? They have to have a conversation, right? But I don't remember. Yeah, pretty much they do, and it's even after seeing all this stuff, and even with the understandable, like in you know, Gam. I, I feel like Gambit knows, or like it's it's a tr- it's mentioned that like usually when your child comes back in time in X Men comics, you're not just like, oh yeah, my child, glad to have you in the family. You're like, what? No, I have not had a kid. Yeah. And so Gambit is fearing rejection to some extent, right. as well as the fact that, like, Charles has seen his innermost mind, which is not a pleasant experience for anybody, including Gambit, um, and all those memories. So it's kind of a fear of rejection and Charles deciding to, like, open, welcome Gambit as, like, a child, as the son of his. That's basically what happens, right? Yeah, that's what I picked up. Yeah. Um, and then I think I think there was a, a scene possibly right after that where Scott and, and Charles are talking one on one. And I think they're just like, well, because I think Scott's basically assuming, well, since he's your son now, I guess there's no way he's going to get the boot. <laughs> Charles is like, yeah, <laughs> still looking <laughs> for a way. <laughs> Sorry, Cyclops. <laughs> yeah. And then when do. Forgive me if I'm jumping too far ahead, but I forget when exactly Charles and Remy then have to long distance space call Lalandra and be like, here's your son. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, they there's, there's some nice- interesting emotional things going on there, because for one thing, Gambit immediately calls her the Shi'ar word for like mom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Charles is kind of hurt because like he's getting called Charles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> It's like, I want to be Shi'ar Daddy. <laughs> right. Shi'ar Daddy. <laughs> and Lalandra. Uh, oh, geez. Lalandra's life is weird. But, you know, for one thing, Charles is like almost reluctant to call. because like, I have to use the real emergency line because like she's in the middle of like some civil wars and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, being a space empress. And she just kind of deals with it very like matter of factly. And like, I, I want to say business like almost she does. like. She's just like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. We'll have to talk later. <laughs> yeah, that sounds cool. I'm a little busy here. Yeah. Can I get you call back? <laughs> like, I'm literally in a space battle and, like, people are shooting lasers at my ship. <laughs> but I definitely want to have tea sometime. <laughs> I've got someone on the other space line. I can't uh, chat right <laughs> Oh, sorry. Uh, you're breaking up. Laundry <laughs> <laughs> crinkling a Shi'ar candy wrapper in front of the microphone. <laughs> oh. uh, what did you say? I have a... Uh, <laughs> I was, you know, I'm looking at this. Oh, yeah, there was also a moment where uh, they'd have to discuss how it was even possible for Charles and Lalandra to have a kid, because I guess it's not allowed unless... Well, 
That, that's when Adam X come. Oh, oh yeah, in the political Shiar sense. Yeah, yeah, who knows? They're like, maybe she just didn't tell anyone. Like, we don't know what the future situation was. Yeah, did she ever wonder what happened to that kid? <laughs> <laughs> she just did the sitcom thing where she walked around with like a giant plant in front of her belly the whole time. Yeah. Just like, well, <laughs> <laughs> nothing to yeah, see. She does seem pretty like unconcerned about it too. <laughs> yeah, I've got to say that scene. As much as we're laughing about it. It, it is kind of like a character moment for Lalandra in that she does that equivalent of like, um, that's great. Let's talk about it later while making it seem kind of diplomatic and warm instead of like mm-hmm. abrupt and mm-hmm. unpleasant. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I think she actually <laughs> meant let's discuss this later, not just like, yeah, sure. Like, I'll call you totally. <laughs> right. I think there's actually an interest in building that relationship. <laughs> And then, but then there's like the, the final drama as well in this plot thread, right? Because, uh, future witness along with future forge, who's also around, come back in time for like two hours to talk to everybody. Yep. They only have two hours because they just wiped out their own timeline. And it's been established very recently in the comics that when you successfully change the past, it moves forward into the future from the past, wiping out things <laughs> in a order because it because that's how it goes. It doesn't make any sense because, well, what they reveal is going to happen is that Remy is going to cease to exist. But that would affect every single thing in the X-Men's lives. So anyway. Well, Gambit's situation is different, and they're going to explain it, but I don't know, I don't get exactly why it has to be different, whatever. We get a, we get a lot of info dump in this latter part of the fandom. Yeah. <laughs> for one thing, um, for one thing, future Gambit, the witness, had a deal going with the friggin' Games Master, because if you need a deus ex machina, then that's fine. <laughs> Who's the Games Master? It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, who cares? Truly. <laughs> But that was the deal of, like, whether he could change the past without doing the easy thing of just going back in time like you usually do in the X-Men and being like, hey, don't do this thing. Or like, hey, prevent Senator Kelly from being assassinated or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he couldn't just do that to make it more complicated. And, but he successfully did it through weird loopholes or whatever. Um, and I, I guess that what, what it hinges on is that he didn't send Bishop into the past. He just kind of, like, told Bishop a bunch of things. And then Bishop did things that ended up with him going into the past without being instructed to do so or whatever. Yeah, like as long as it was his own choice to try to save the X-Men, it was fine. Right. Um, And for some reason, he couldn't have a lot of information, I guess. Right. Because telling things directly would have been against the rules that were arbitrarily set up by the author. (laughs) I mean, the game's master. (laughs) But the other thing is, there's this drama because that time loop of Gambit going back in time and then going forward in time, normally, going back in time and then living and then dying or whatever, not dying because he's the witness. The time loop that allows him to exist has been disrupted, which means he's not going to be born. (laughs) And in this fanfic, the way that's going to play out is that everything's going to be totally normal until they reach the point in time when he would have been born, at which point he will be wiped from existence retroactively. And everything he's done will be wiped from existence as well. And don't even ask how any of this works. Because, like, 
it doesn't seem like Bishop is in danger of this. You know, mm-hmm. even though his timeline's also been wiped out, I don't know. Even though he's also going to presumably live past the point when he would have been born in the future that he yeah, came from. That's a really good like, point. Presumably it no, would wipe out anyone who had been born in that future. And that includes Bishop. Right. Bishop. Bishop specifically. <laughs> but no one ever seems to bring that up. It's not the point. The point is to have existential angst <laughs> and drama. Okay, yeah. Um, was I mis- misunderstanding? They have so they have like about ten years, I guess, left with Gambit. But like, does that mean the entire timeline is going to cease? Well, I guess the timeline as they understand it is going to cease to exist. Not that like the because I don't know. They, it felt like I felt like they were talking about it like the world was going to end entirely, which I guess it is in a way. Well, Gambit is going to disappear, and so is everything he's done, which would have all kinds of butterfly effects they don't seem too worried about. I mean, they're worried (laughs) about Gambit, but they're not like, hey, what about the fact that Gambit's been doing all kinds of, like, significant actions in our lives for years now? Yeah. Like, probably saved some people's lives or whatever. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, apparently those things will all stay the same, even though Gambit will have never existed. Doesn't make a lot of sense. (laughs) It's more like I think we're, he'll, everyone will forget that he ever did exist than that he never actually existed. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's presented as like the time when timelines change, they tend to change in clusters of things. And like the timelines try not to change in ways that are mm-hmm. not necessary. So, you know, um, we're not supposed to delve too deep into it because <laughs> why, why would we? But it is another source of incredible angst. And I was kind of expecting that the fanfic would go towards the end of like some way to escape this fate. Mm-hmm. Which is which is why it's really interesting that it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, it goes towards the gambit learning to come to terms with it, and I actually feel like it's a relatively satisfying ending because his whole emotional journey has finally led him to a place of peace, where he says, "I've got ten more years, and I'm going to live them the best that I can." And that's basically mm-hmm. how it ends. Yeah, and also Rogue saying, "Like I want to be with you, even though I know that I'm, I might very well forget you, or like you know." If, if we have a kids, and she specifically says, she's like, I want to have kids, um, then we don't know what will happen with them, you know, mm-hmm. after those 10 years either. But she is, yeah, she also makes that choice of saying, like, look, the time that we're going to live together is going to be real no matter what happens after that. And, like, that's how she wants to be pursuing her life right now also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gambit tries to give her an out, basically, like, this, the 10 years of me is going to be a waste. But she's like, mm-hmm. but she wouldn't know. No one would know. So, does it really matter? Yeah, yeah like, yeah. have a good time while you're here, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of, like, it's just putting forward kind of an existential problem that the conclusion is, well, for them, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like it's really emotionally satisfying, actually, even though it comes out of all this time travel complete nonsense. <laughs> because unless you have, you know, strongly held religious convictions that, you know, you're, you're going to be conscious of things in life after life, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's really the same kind of like existential fear of death that anyone has to face, except written in a larger, more comic book thing. It's like that maybe not all of my works in life are going to be wiped out when I die, but like, does it make much difference to me? Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if I don't know about them or whatever, if, you know, my consciousness ceases to exist. And so it's just kind of like, it can be written in that bigger dramatic form, but it's, immediately relatable to the human condition, right? 
but which it, I guess is good comic book storytelling. Yeah, but it also does add another layer in the sense of like a lot of us think we'll have you know a legacy after we die. So I think it yeah. like creates that existential question of like you know how would you feel if no one ever remembered you existed, and that's like pretty impactful. Sorry, I feel like we just steamrolled over that like final drama. <laughs> well. Katie and Britt, like, anything that you want to, like, throw in there? I feel like, no, I don't think the comic, sorry, the fan fiction steamrolled over the drama, but it did feel a bit like, okay, and now it's over. <laughs> All right, and this is what it's like. So, yeah, it, yeah like, because I, I was scrolling through the story and realizing I was getting near the end, and I was also kind of expecting a very obvious comic booky action story happy ending, and was surprised when we got something a lot quieter. Um, and my first reaction was like, oh, what a downer ending. <laughs> like, Gambit's going to die. That sucks. Or cease to exist, I guess. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. But I liked what you both just said about how it just kind of reflects people, everyday people having to confront their mortality anyway. So I feel like I have nothing intelligent to add to this point. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still like lost in like, which timeline are we in? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is a long story with a lot of twists and turns. And I like your point that it is a quiet ending. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a good way to put it. This whole story has been a lot of, like, timelines and action and end of the world and portrayal of the X-Men and death and fighting. And this is just, like, Gambit getting his emotional arc completed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the author has you know, spread out some of that to other characters as well. I mean, I guess technically The Witness is not another character because it's also Gambit. <laughs> but for example, the background question of kind of like The Witness and his background and like the terrible things he's had to do and the reasons he's done them has kind of been simmering in the fanfic as well. And by making a physical appearance, she lets The Witness have moments with some key characters like Rogue, like Charles, like Bishop, and like Younger himself. Um, that provide kind of some emotional resolution of him before he also dies in this fanfic or, you know, un- is undone or whatever. Yeah, and we also had, um, I don't think we mentioned, we had some, like, flash forwards, I guess, of the witness in his own time. So we kind of a complete character arc for him, even though it was a little bit of a smaller piece of the story. So I guess that's the story. That is betrayal, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah. So who was betrayed in this story? <laughs> uh, the X-Men. Yeah. 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 The end. The end. By Colossus. Several- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to read this completely surface level. Uh, well, if we're going to talk about criticism, I would definitely put the, and Colossus betrayed them. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, sure. Let's let's move into our ending thoughts, right? I don't know I don't know whether it's actually criticism or praise, but before we do our criticism and then our praise, I've got to say the story wasn't what I was expecting when I went into it. I knew enough about it to know that like it was about Gambit and Bishop, I thought, and the whole future plot line with like the X-Men getting betrayed. And so I thought there was going to be more conflict maybe between Gambit and Bishop and maybe more kind of action. But in fact, in this story, there's no action that hasn't already, in a sense, happened. No, like, you know, combat that is not, in the end, just, like, living in 
Gambit's memory. Oh, well, okay, okay, I guess they, they scuffle a little bit, right? They, <laughs> there's like, like that scuffle in the lab that we talked about, but basically none. And it's really just trying to do some character work and some heavy-duty continuity work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah. you mentioned up top, like how Bishop is in the very first line and then he becomes kind of a secondary character and it really becomes Remy's story throughout. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I agree. I definitely didn't expect to get such a deep dive into Gambit's psyche in that way, I think. Yeah, and I feel like the author definitely spent time laying it out in those chapters where they were, where Jean and Charles were in Gambit's psyche. It, it, when I first started, I was like, Ugh, is, is this is this fan fiction going to be accessible to me? Am I going to be Googling the whole time? And really, I just Googled Bishop, and then the rest was kind of, I guess, easy enough to take at face value because of how much it was like, here's a character, and it's going to be about what this character has dealt with his whole life or lives at this point. Um, and I felt that that was more of an accessible storyline for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we're drifting perilously close to praise, actually. So why don't we get our criticism out of the way first? And then we can start, you know, saying nice things to the author. <laughs> what were we not satisfied with in this story or I think they could do better? Who, who just shouted out Colossus a moment ago? Was that you, Tori? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that. I mean, that, but that's kind of indicative of a larger problem, which is that if you take... um you know, like we talked about with the timeline, if you really look closely at everything, it doesn't fully make sense. Mm-hmm. But that's sort of because the author had a focus on the emotional storyline instead of the literal one. And it's also reads very X-Men. It's just like kind of, especially with the Colossus piece, I just wanted a little bit more on like why that was happening, basically. It's pretty abrupt. Yeah. The story goes places you don't expect, and usually that's fine, but every so often it feels like it's taking, like, a weird turn, and I just want a little bit more of, like, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd put that whole, um, Toussaint, I suppose his name was, the, mm-hmm. um, whole hallucination thing, it just, yeah, it just comes and then it goes, and it's like, well, what was the point? Who is this person? I'm a little bit confused, so I would agree. Things just kind of appear, and then you're like, oh. What, what's that yeah. about? Yeah, like clues. I understand that having finished the story that they're supposed to be clues, but they just felt not so well woven into the plot, I think. And then, yeah, just the general timeline messiness, which kind of comes hand in hand when reading anything related to the X-Men. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a, a bit too confusing, I think. And maybe not so necessary. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know how else to present the dueling Remy's, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little hard to tell. I, I get the sense that the author was probably trying to pull a lot of plot threads that were even messier in the comics mm-hmm. and have them make more sense than they did. But it's still, it's still a little bit messy in terms of storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did, were there any characters we thought were badly characterized? I mean, I think if I had to pick one, I would say Angel, just because I feel like he just kind of went along with whatever Bobby and Scott wanted. (laughs) Like, he was very much just background, I guess. Like, I guess I'm saying, like, his characterization was bad just in that he wasn't really a character. (laughs) Yeah. When he wasn't doing that, he was standing next to Betsy with a t-shirt saying, I'm with her. Correct, Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. And putting his weight around her shoulder. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then almost killing Gene with his like evil metal feathers. But <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But that's when she's like, "Look, if we're going to kick out everybody who worked with Apocalypse." Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that was the I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, par- I paraphrase, but it's not exactly what she says. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of characters who are just kind of all only barely there. And I'd say you're right. Angel Warren is definitely foremost among the people who are only barely there. Yeah, like, I feel like he could have just been, like, visiting Maui or something that week. You know, like, he didn't yeah. really need to be around. It is kind of the problem of, like, pulling in a bunch of characters, but then not everyone gets their enough moments right like i also felt like bobby was just kind of flat like he's like i'm in love with rogue that's my character beat and i'm jealous of gambit so i'm angry or but i guess Mm -hmm. they needed more people to like not to be not be on gambit's side i don't know that i feel like scott and bishop were kind of enough but what else Mm -hmm. because also warren was kind of against gambit too right Mm -hmm. that's kind of why they brought him in betsy seemed kind of like an unclear sketch yeah Mm -hmm. and i mean maybe that's maybe that's part of just the era she was in where it's like who at that point who is she as a character like in the 90s you know they seem to have forgotten that she was ever british they're just like uh no she's a cool psychic ninja or something right that's who (laughs) elizabeth braddock is right yeah sure yeah um and so i feel like that's kind of that kind of shows in her character here where it's like who is she i don't know yeah there's almost like too much of psylocke to unravel in this so she's just kind of like we need to a telepath so there she is <laughs> yeah we need a telepath to be you know a, a foil in the scene mm-hmm. so that's you yeah yeah she um, got to like a uh, you know try to probe gambit's mind but then she didn't get a lot of moments of like why that happened or how she felt about it mm-hmm. yeah she had to be knocked out afterwards <laughs> but, <hey. laughs> what I, I what i do want to praise in terms of writing off characters is that wolverine does not make his presence felt in this fanfic. Mm-hmm. And because writers tend to love Logan, like it's kind of nice just being like, look, he doesn't, he's not important in this story. He's like barely there. And that's good. Yeah. yeah. And then when he's there, he's got a funny quip, you know, it's like mm-hmm. kind of how you'd want him to be if he was just in the background. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And he seems to be pretty like the closest one. I think they said to, to Remy, like my closest man friend here. <laughs> or something. He said something along those lines. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but his his closest male friend is like hardly close at all, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. What do you think they talk about that's like in any way emotionally sensitive? <laughs> yeah, just- they do man things together. They play pool. They ride motorcycles. Yeah, you want a beer? Yeah, drink beer. Yeah, yeah. 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 and then know. Gambit says like, <laughs> "I don't like when you call me gumbo share." <laughs> that's the extent of their emotional depth. <laughs> Logan's accent gets played up more just to match yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's shift into praise then. What did you think was well done about the fanfic? I just loved all the Rogue and Remy stuff, just as a Romy shipper. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> thought that was just really well played out. And as we ex- discussed at length, um, the Seattle stuff, not, not even knowing exactly the specifics, I think it's still, I don't know, it was just, everything was clear enough to me to appreciate the ups and downs of their relationship. So, yeah, well, that makes me think, I feel like I mentioned this in passing in terms of Seattle, (laughs) but like there's all kinds of very, very specific continuity that the author is coming off of. And I feel like that's good in the sense that the author had a very clear idea where the relationship was. Mm -hmm. 
but it, it's also done well in that you get the emotional gist even if the details are lost on you on a whole lot of the plot things here. Because like you said, Tori, it's really about the character emotions, and the plot is kind of there to get things to happen with those. But that's, that's fine as a reader, because it makes it a lot easier to read than if it was really about the minutia of continuity, and, you know, that would really get you lost. But there's always the characters to fall back on, and they're, generally speaking, really well-written mm -hmm. characters. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And I mean, like, even the, you know, picking on the, the plot a little bit, it still kind of fits the tone of X-Men, right? Like, oh, sure. So totally. it, it works, you know, it serves the story well. And yeah, when the characters that are prominent are characterized super well. And I feel like it's just a fun read. In, well, it's kind of a, an interesting emotional end, but it, like in general, you kind of have fun trying to piece the story together. Mm -hmm. In particular, I thought the writing from like when they're in Remy's mind was really strong, like some of the visuals there and how emotional it is to kind of watch him walk through his childhood and like see that through Jean's eyes too. Mm -hmm. uh, that was super strong. Yeah, yeah completely definitely. agree. Yeah, and I feel like even when things were confusing or I felt a little lost, I never faulted the author really for that, or at least like, I never faulted like her style or anything like i would i was glad to have to like go back and read things a couple of times maybe like a few chapter paragraphs to have to reread like I, I thought it was just overall well written and i was willing to i guess like the best comics i was willing to overlook some of the wonkiness and just enjoy where the story was taking me yeah any other praise i think it's a fun story yeah i can see why the fandom took to it and it won some awards I also just noticed on fan lore, it has a piece of fan fiction. Oh my god. <laughs> that happens sometimes with, you know, well-regarded fanfics. Is that they get their own fan fix. <laughs> this one's called Father's Day, and I think it's about Charles oh, no. and Remy. Oh, no. <laughs> they go to like IHOP or something. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great, but probably not. Just, you know, statistically speaking, that's probably not what it's about. Overall, it, it was an enjoyable read. It was fun. Hanging out with the X-Men, too, mm -hmm. which I haven't done in a while. Yeah, recommend it. Highly recommend. <laughs> hanging, hanging out with the X-Men. Always a good time. <laughs> of course, now in you know future podcast episodes for you two, you're going to be needing to work out, like, wait, was this a thing with Gambit, or was that just a thing in betrayal with Gambit? Yeah, I think you just <laughs> gave us... What are powers again? I think you just gave us, like, our next 12 episodes, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's also hit me hard reading this Tori, that like we've done two X things, mm -hmm. X Men fanfics with zero Kurt, and now I'm unhappy about it. I know Kurt's my favorite too, so bring him in. So at some point, we're gonna have to find something to read. It's gonna be yeah. pretty fun out there. Oh, you know who wrote a lot of Kurt centered fanfiction, Tori? Hmm. The author of Brainy's Glasses. Oh, what? Yeah. When they were when they were older, I guess. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> younger or old. I, probably older, yeah. Yeah. Well, because wasn't that the one who was, the author was really young when they wrote it? Yeah. Yeah, like 11. <laughs> something 12, yeah, yeah, something like that. It was a crazy good story for someone that young. So that'd be <laughs> cool. We should find those. <laughs> that was a Smurfs fanfic, by the way. <laughs> Katie. Yeah. Wow. It's like a really good Smurfs fanfic written by, like, yeah, like an 11 or 12-year-old kid. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> highly recommend that one too but they probably did i guess they had a thing for blue creatures <laughs> 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 
that's the thematic tie through all of their fanfics. <laughs> oh, now I want like a blue force and it's just Nightcrawler, Beast, and a bunch of Smurfs. Like that would be excellent. Or Mystique. Put Mystique in there. Oh, yes, yeah, yes, you, yes. You don't, yeah. have, you don't have to leave the Marvel Universe for that. I'm sure we can find someone to join those three, yeah. right? Who else is blue? I just yeah, want the Smurfs involved. The Smurfs are, yeah, it would just be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like three mutants leading a bunch of tiny little Smurfs. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that just despicable me? Like, <laughs> um, as Papa Smurf casting fireballs, which I appreciate. <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else to say about betrayal then before we close out? Watch out for Colossus. <laughs> yeah, for some reason. For some reason, yeah. <laughs> and make the most of the next I- 10 years. Yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> I mean, looking forward 10 years seems ambitious at this point in time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the next 10 hours. Oh, no. I know. I'm, I'm jealous <laughs> of Gambit. He knows he's got another good 10 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I guess we will stop. Britt and Katie, tell us a little bit more. Remind us where to find your fanfic. Your podcast. Your fanfic. <laughs> your podcast. Well, <laughs> if you've got any fanfics, tell us where to find those two. Uh, well, I feel like that's our end game. Is we do have an AO3 account. There's nothing posted on it yet, but one day. Um, but yeah, we are Is It an X Man jointly. Uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Is It an X Man, and we have uh, a Patreon, which would be cool for everybody to check out with bonus eps. Um, and yeah, we post every other Monday. Uh, fun rambly episodes about some kind of X adjacent topic <laughs> or pepper Ann. <laughs> whatever strike <laughs> <or> fancy. <laughs> what super cool stuff are you hiding behind the paywall there on your, um, on your Patreon? Like well, what have you talked about? Um, well, we just, uh, in September kind of relaunched the pod and our Patreon and we have some bonus, we do themed bonus episodes every month. So, uh, we did one about the Xavier's School versus the Massachusetts Academy back in September. Oh. Uh, we just had a really great chat with two of our good friends about horror movies and X-Men who are in them. Uh, yeah, so. And, oh, we have a whole bonus episode about cats. The movie. <laughs> the movie. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so check that out. <laughs> you had me at the Massachusetts Academy because I always want more Hellions. <laughs> yes, definitely. In my life. <laughs> All right. And as for this, this was episode 101 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Betrayal by Valerie Jones. You can find it a couple places online, including fanfiction.net, where the author is Valerie J. And we will put a link to the version we use, which is just HTML format, at bit.ly slash rfrbetrayal. Now, excuse me a moment while I pull up the usual ending stuff that I say at the end. That I should have pulled up, that I usually should have pulled up early. <laughs> yeah. Maybe in a different timeline you did, but no. <laughs> it's Colossus's fault, it's Ter- fine. Yeah. Terrible things happened in that timeline, don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> now we've got to send you back to the past as a baby. No way. <laughs> <laughs> the intro song for the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our editor for the podcast is Dom Davis. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, 
please contact us on Twitter at RetroFanfic, Facebook at RetroFanfic. Send us an email at RetroFanficRetrospective at gmail.com. You could leave comments or reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast service you use. We've got our Instagram now, which is also RetroFanfic. Right, Tori? Yes. And you can find the episode art that Tori does for many episodes, not all episodes. Because there's also other life going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking a brief hiatus from illustrating, but I'll be back at it. And we have plenty of stuff already up on Instagram, so check it out. Are you going to be able to resist the urge to draw a picture of Gambit this time, though? <laughs> it is a strong urge. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. All right, well, you can keep an eye out for that. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Britt. And I'm Katie. We're just four Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other until our existence is retroactively destroyed. Until next time, take care. Destroyed's not the right word. It's fine. Like, what's the word for when you stop existing because Erased. of the past changing? Uh, I don't Erased. think it's to keep it tight too i have a, yeah. a bad problem with going off on tangents for way too long so have you i'm sorry I mean, have you listened to <laughs> our whole podcast is a tangent we've been yeah, doing it some. <laughs> yeah. just an absolute <laughs> tangent speaking of if you ever find that pepper and episode let, let me know I want to hear that. oh my <laughs> don't, god just... don't, it haunts me now now well i'm gonna be seeing that at some point well, i, I can't know. even i don't even remember what it was about why did we talk pepper about pepper Ann? Ann? i don't know i don't know <laughs> I definitely like watched Pepper Ann consistently for a little while. Yeah, and then you like wake up one day as an adult and you're like, was that a dream? Because I don't know, like, there's no fandom about it. I feel like it deserves one. I don't know. Yeah, I, I spent like a month. True. I spent like a month trying to track down episodes. It's like harder to find than any lost ancient text. There's like a few episodes here and there. But, it was a good oh, show. Open the Disney Vault, guys. Come on. <laughs> I think let Pepper Ann free. <laughs>